Hello and welcome back to the Influencer Podcast. It's great to have you with us. It's also been great to see everyone who has subscribed and engaged with the last episode. It's been really helpful for us to try to work out where we take this and how we develop it. And so we're pleased to say that we're going to be sharing a podcast once a month. So once a month, we'll be sharing lots of different things from the Infinitum journey. But for now, we've got so much great content we want to share with you. Uh, We're actually going to be sharing four episodes over the coming weeks. So we've got some great things lined up, which includes carrying on the conversation that we've heard previously with Phil and Danielle. We're also going to be featuring some conversations from around the world of people on the Infinitum journey. And we're also going to be having an audio version of the daily prayer, which so many people find helpful as a way to start their day on the vows of surrender, generosity and mission. So all of that is going to be coming up over the next few weeks. So make sure you're subscribed to stay on top of all those coming out. And if you're new to this whole Infinitum Life thing, then you can find out more information on our website, which is www.infinitumlife.com. Or you can also contact us directly if you have any questions or any ideas. And you can reach us just at contact at infinitumlife.com. But for now, we're going to be diving straight back into that conversation, which we paused last time between Phil Wall and Danielle Strickland. So we're going to be joining part two of Why Infinitum. So we're, um, we're kind of nearly two years in now. We, we spent some time exploring what it might mean, what it might be. I just need to clarify, that's two years in to the journey of Infinitum as a whole, not two years into the conversation. It wasn't that long a conversation, thankfully. Anyway, back to them. Uh, I spent ages trying to think about um, what the uh, what the name of it would be, and we just love this whole idea of of this boundless thing, this kind of vision of the gospel which Jesus gives us, which transcends all things. So we wanted a really kind of expansive view of faith and what this might lead us to. And um, and we spent the first year trying it ourselves, you know, road test it and seeing what it was like. And then we're about a year in now to the puppy release. So for me, I think um, it's been really interesting. So I have been meeting early in the morning, once a week on our, you know, generally, uh, for over 20 years now. I uh, have been practicing the discipline of accountable relationships with some dearly trusted brothers for a long time now. And there's been a couple that have journeyed with me throughout the years. Uh, and then, you know, over this last 10, 12 years, been meeting with a couple of other guys locally. And so what's been really interesting as we've explored what it might, what it means for us to be part of an infinite hub is... Uh, this issue of the specificity and the clarity around the questions. And so um, we, you know, we would always talk about, say, what kind of weekend stuff have you had? And, and we talk generally. What the Infinite Framework does is, is give us uh, something a bit meaty to get our teeth into. And when we've looked, for example, at a particular topic, uh, uh, the week before around, for example, you know, our focus on mission, not allow ourselves just to be completely distracted by all the business of life, but actually going to work every single day with a real missional mindset. And the three of us, the guys in the hub that I'm part of, I think we would all say we have pretty responsible, um, you know, kind of influential jobs. And so we want to be able to view those worlds and view those jobs as kingdom opportunities to live missional lives. So I think what it's done is bring a real fresh edge uh, to that, um, particularly to someone like myself and one of my buddies, Andy, um, and we've because we've been journeying together now in that environment uh, for over 12 years. I think the other thing uh, it's done is it's made us a little bit braver. I think we've always been pretty open and pretty honest. But, that, you know, one of the things that's really key uh, uh, in um, within the Infinite Framework is, of course, within Protestantism, we don't really have a, 
uh, and a life framework where we can confess our sin. You know, people say, oh, I confess my sins to God. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. It says confess our sins to one another. And there is something deeply profound about sitting in front of a trusted brother or sister and saying, hey, here's my commitment, here's my temper, here's the decision I made yesterday that I just should never have made. And having the opportunity to confess one sin in a safe environment and not carry that as guilt or as shame, but to actually experience and understand that, the, and, and in a very imminent sense, um, know and hear the forgiveness that God gives in this kind of grace-only uh, framework of faith that he's given us. That's been really, really powerful. So that's been powerful for me. The one last thing I'll say before I hand over, uh, Danielle, to kind of chip in, is, is for me, uh, and kind of this is part of my, if you like, professional life, is understanding psychologically what it's done for me. And this is the thing I found most surprising. And I say I've been an intentional follower for 33 years. But now I find every morning my first to mind thought is my morning prayer, which is, Lord, help me to honour you today. And then help me to be a man of surrender, generosity and mission. It's my first to mind thought when I wake up. You know, actually, it's second to mind. Probably the first one is, I wish I could lay in bed a bit longer. But the second thought, my first active thought is, this is, and so it's kind of habituated in my brain at a, neuro, a deep neurological level. And then when I then, then go into straight, you know, 6.30, which is when it pops in my inbox, you know, the, the, the verse or the channel thing for the day, it's really, it helps me enter my day from that place of commitment and covenant and vow rather than landing in it about 11 o'clock sometimes and say, oh, I need to be this today. So for me, it's been really profound. One of the most profound things that I've had the privilege of being part of throughout these 33 years of intentionally following Jesus. Yeah, for me, um, that's amazing. It's great, Phil. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> uh, for me, I think it's been kind of a really interesting season to be having done this. One, I think when I kind of entered the process of even creating infinitum, it was a really good reminder of what really matters uh, in that following Jesus is the primary thing that matters above all other things. So it was really great for setting my own priorities in my life, I think, and just a great reminder uh, that we're all walking by grace every day on this journey. So that was it was a really stimulating thing that way for me spiritually. And then two, I think the intentionality of it. So again, I think I, I have some great relationships and I have lots of wide relationships and varied ones. But, you know, it's always a little difficult to get to the spiritual side of relationships uh, without sounding so super spiritual. And um, and so I, I was great going to the movies and catching up with people and praying when they had a need. But I found myself almost always the giver and instigator of those things. So it, it kind of flipped those relationships to more mutuality so that we were giving and receiving to each other. So that was a really helpful thing. And then uh, one of the things that happened to me in the middle of this just kind of experimentation with Infinitum is I moved to a new country in a new community in a new setting where I don't really know anybody. And so I had to start from scratch, which I thought was just such a great way to um, experiment with how you do this from nothing. Like, so I didn't have sort of these deeper, I hadn't been meeting with the same person for 12 years or 20 years. And I could say, Hey, let's try this. I had to literally take a risk and say, okay, I don't know you and you don't know me very well, but do you want to just try to do this thing together and then create these meaningful relationships? Um, and so that's been a really great experiment and it's been great for intentionality. So right from the start, these new relationships that I'm making where we had to take some risks and we had to make some trust happen in a hurry has enabled that to happen. Uh, but also it's created this supportive framework in a brand new environment. So that's been uh, probably instrumentally healthy and spiritually great for me. 
uh, for me, the daily prayers have also been absolutely key. Um, and I found myself way more attentive during the day for the opportunities that God gives me uh, in those areas. So I become much more attentive to recognizing that what I prayed that morning is literally being answered in opportunity throughout the day. Uh, the other thing, the accountability piece, where I know that I have to give an account, even though my person isn't like, you're in trouble if you don't do it. But I, I just, it helps just to, to know there's actually on Tuesday, I'm meeting with my my hub and I'm going to have to say, oh, shoot, I'm, I tried that prayer thing out this week or I didn't. And I'm going to actually have to say that. So I find that kind of accountability thing really super helpful to actually getting to the practices that I want to do. It's, in, it's on my to-do list. I, I want to. Uh, but it's just about getting it done. So uh, I think those are kind of some of the strengths for me of the Infinitive Framework. As I just pause and try and get a bit objective for a second, I think I think there's a couple of reasons why it's why particularly people like Daniel and myself it's so helpful. Um, the first is um, you know part of this is founded in traditions of the of the early fathers and the monastics and those different movements, and it's extraordinary that those that develop the whole concept of the spiritual disciplines and the importance, for example, of body posture and what you did with your body and what you did with your food and what you consumed and where you stood and how you stood and how you now, et cetera, et cetera, whereby there became a whole rhythm and a liturgy of body, mind and spirit together. It is amazing when we uh, understand now, as we do with neuroscanners and everything else, why those things are so powerful and the impact of, for example, body posture and body state on mind and mindset. And so I think one of the reasons why it's so helpful in terms of things like the hand position, in terms of how we think about some of these disciplines wrapped up in the vows, are that's the way you shape and reshape the brain. That's the way you change habit, which the monastics have been saying for generations. And now, through you know, the advance of neuroscience, we understand exactly why that is. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's so powerful um, to someone like me. I think one of the other reasons is... Um, for people like me, and if uh, Daniel are very different, but we have some similarities, uh, we're quite loud, um, is we're leaders. And one of the interesting things about being a leader, whether it's a leader in your local community, you know, your Cub Scout pack, your school, or you stand on big stages and big platforms, is very, very rarely does anyone look you in the eye and say, we need to talk about what I just saw in your life. People might say that to each other. People might write letters of a complaint to your lords and masters and, you know, probably deservedly so. I've had a lot of that in my life where um, people have been concerned about my mindset or my attitude or the language I used or whatever, and they've written to call me to account for that. But hardly ever does that happen face-to-face where I genuinely feel accountable. And what's often happened is when people are critical or where people push back, even though they may be exactly right and, and fully accurate in what they're saying, in terms of the, the harshness or, you know, in my life, the over-intensity or aggression or whatever, because it comes from an external, untrusted source, I'm not able to access it. And so what I do is I tend to get defensive. One of the powerful things for people who do spend a lot of time speaking to large groups of people is that it fills that gap, whereby we choose to put ourselves in a position to take that posture of surrender and accountability in front of brothers and sisters and say, would you call me to account? Would you watch my life closely, please, to make sure that what you hear me say I believe and what it is you hear me say I want to do is actually what I see. And please, I ask you, I beg you, look me in the eye on a regular basis 
and call me to account when it's different and encourage me when I'm struggling. And I think for people like us, for leaders, people who lead, where accountability is often non-existent, that's one of the reasons I think it's been personally for us so powerful. Yeah, I think too, I, I tire of the hierarchical nature of discipleship in Christian communities. So, you know, there's somebody that is ahead of somebody else who's ahead of somebody else who's ahead, of, you know, who disciples Billy Graham, you know, in the end, right? And so it just becomes, and, and, and it lacks mutuality because discipleship is about all of us obeying what Jesus tells us to do and risking and following. So I found that some of the people that have challenged me the most are, aren't positionally better than me or superior to me or even maybe have been following Jesus way sooner than I have. You know, I've been in the race a lot longer, but their tenacity or their intention or their vibrancy is so much more. And it's a challenge to me. It's a mutual relationship. So this idea that we all can learn to follow Jesus together and we're all on this road together, there is literally no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. It's one disciple telling another disciple where to you know, how to follow Jesus and encourage each other along the way. So that's been really refreshing to me because I think, uh, you know, the more you lead and the higher you get in leadership, if that's the right way to say it, um, the more isolating it becomes, which I, I think is the opposite of the Christian journey. So it's been refreshing that way. This is a, a mutual accountability relationship, spiritual thing that we all need together because we're all humans trying to be like Jesus in the world. So I think that's been super good. And the other thing for me too is just the practical nature um, of, you know, we have all this knowledge. You know, the last thing really, if we're honest, we need is another Bible study. We need some Bible doings, not some Bible learnings. So it's this, I think we're actually almost sick of knowledge without experience. And what we really need is experience. We need to really work our body and not only just in prayer, but in disciplines, but also just like in faith. Like how does this thing work itself out in our everyday lives? And it seems to me, especially with knowledge, like skill-based knowledge at our fingertips with the internet and stuff, it's not that we lack for a curriculum. You know, we don't need more like curriculum. You can just Google whatever topic you want and find 10 Bible studies you can use tomorrow um, but we lack the practicing of our faith. We lack the practice of it. I think that's why people are lined up at yoga studios everywhere because there's a combination of spirituality in your body. It's connected to real life. So people are dying for this connection. So for me, that's been super helpful. So just the practical nature, like one conversation I had recently with my hub person was, you know, my prayer life was a little stagnant. And I was like, I'm struggling to pray. And uh, she was like, you know, I just started this thing called coloring prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. And I was like, no, it sounds really silly <laughs> is what I thought. I never said that, but I was like, oh, for Pete's sake, coloring prayer. And the next week she brought me a coloring prayer journal with a, a bunch of pencil crayons and said, you should give it a go. And because I knew I was going to meet her the next week, even though I thought to myself, this is ridiculous and I'm not going to color. Like I've got a lot of things to do and I'm a fairly busy and important person. So this is ridiculous. I did it because I knew I had to say, oh, hey, I tried that <laughs> the next week and I tried it. And it was one of the most beautiful things. I, I was able to spend time with Jesus. My mind wasn't racing. My son came along saying, what are you doing? And I said to him, you know, I'm, I'm coloring and praying. And his eyes got really big and he said, you can do that. And he sat down beside me and he colored and prayed. And we ended up praying for our neighbors. And we made this picture that we took it over to their house. And it turned into this beautiful uh, family prayer time where we were just intentionally with Jesus doing something together. And so I've, I'm so thankful that she mentioned it. So it wasn't like we had to create something from scratch. It's just the shared experience of try this. Like, 
And that may, that's not going to be like a tradition in my life for the rest of my life, probably. But it sure spiced up my prayer life and made my prayer life really exciting that week and was something that she was able to share with me. So it's, it's that practical nature of this is how I'm doing it. Have you tried this? Like, hey, I did this one time. And it's this kind of shared experience. It's, it's really life-giving. I think it was really interesting. Um, two things that come to mind. I was sitting and listening to you. I hope these are helpful to people listening. Or feel free to press uh, fast forward now. Heard a man speak, Dr. John Drain speak uh, in the early 90s at a conference with about, I don't know, 450, 500 evangelists. People who were there to learn how better to do this. I remember him saying, and you know, he sees himself primarily as a theologian and as a kind of thought leader as opposed to probably uh, an evangelist as such. And something he said to me, which has stayed with me all these years, he said, you know, he said, um, he said when, when we listen to what our world is saying to us, what our society is saying to us about the church, he said, for, for much of the you know, 70s and 80s, the, the phrase was, well, you're not relevant enough. So we spent a great deal of time and energy trying to be relevant with our music and our communications and et cetera, et cetera. And actually, when you look around, you know, events like this and the multimedia thing and the quality of community, I mean, it's, we, we do that well. In fact, for someone who spends much of his life in the corporate communications world, we do it better than the vast majority of people uh, in terms of the quality of our communications and the relevance of communication. His challenge to us is, I think, these days, when society looks at us, it's not that we're not relevant enough. It's actually when they look at our lives and how wrapped up we are with the rest of our society is we're just not spiritual enough. The spiritual rhythms and spiritual language and, and, uh, and a spiritual habits just not part of our lives. We're very relevant, but actually we're just not very spiritual. In other words, we don't look particularly distinctive to anybody else. And that, that comment, again, it was in the early 90s, has stayed with me a long time thinking, wow, that's really, really challenging. And as I look at my life and as I look at the life of most of the people I spend my time with, which I call clients, um, I'm always asking myself a question, you know, in terms of my habits, in terms of my attitudes, in terms of how I spend my money, in terms of how I invest my time, in terms of um, the mindsets I carry, how distinctive is my life, not in, in terms of my inner life but in terms of the stuff that then flows out of that how distinctive does it look and how 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 different is it in terms of how people experience it and so i think coming back to the accountability piece i think the other thing that's really profound is of course it's also modeled on the jesus model i think it's really interesting when we we, we think about the narrative of jesus we think about not just the theology he gave and the great stories he gave because he mainly gave story and narrative not theology but also his practice and it's really interesting when we look at the life of Jesus, you know, he worked with different groups, you know, he worked with 500, he revealed himself, and there was 120, then the 72, then the group of kind of 16, 17, and 12 disciples, and the four, you know, three or four women. And then there was the 12, and then there was the three, and then there was the one, you know, his best friend, John, the one who he loved, you know, and uh, I think the one was John, because Jesus was a good Jewish boy, you, you'd only entrust your mum to your best friend, you know. But I think it's really interesting is his relationship with Peter, James, and John. We think a lot about the divinity of Jesus. I don't think at times we think enough about the humanity of Jesus. And so we have two instances where he just took those three aside. You know, he took the Mount of Transfiguration and obviously he took them to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we tend to view that, I think, because of the divine thing as Jesus took that those three because they needed to be trained and prepared and everything else. I think that was another reason why Jesus took them, particularly to something like the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm sure he did it at other times as well during those three years. Jesus took Peter, James and John to the Garden of Gethsemane because he needed them. This was arguably the single most important decision 
he was going to make. For our theology around salvation to be real and true, Jesus in the garden had a choice. He had a choice. And at the point he had to make probably the most difficult choice in his life to either embrace the cross or run from the cross, he went into that garden and prayed, said, God help me. And he said to his mates, please would you stand with me? Help me. I need you. And it seems to make sense to me if Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, needed his three mates to support him so that he might faithfully obey God, then how much more you and I? And that's one of the other reasons why I think it's so powerful. Amen. That was well said. You should go into like speaking or something. <laughs> You've been listening to Infinitum Podcast. It's been great to have you with us. If you are looking for any more information, then just log on to the website infinitumlife.com. Or you can also contact us directly if you have any questions or you have any stories you want to share. So just send us an email at contactinfinisomelife.com. Next week, we're going to be hearing some different stories from Australia. And so make sure to subscribe to stay up to date as soon as that's released. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.